You can open your Bibles with me this morning to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. I'm sure all of us at one point in our lives have heard our mother or someone ask of us, if your friends told you to jump off a bridge, (laughs) would you do it? I'm sure we've heard that before. Our mom's trying to encourage us. Look before you leap, right? Think before you listen to someone. Try and think for yourself and don't just be carried along with your friends. But what if you flipped, what if you flipped the saying around? What if your mom told you to jump off a bridge? Would you do it? In all earnestness, in all seriousness, you can hear a note of even fear in her voice. Jump off the bridge. Now, you need to. Would you do it? The question, if your friends told you to jump off a bridge, would you do it, all depends in my mind on who your friends are and and who the bridge is and what the bridge is. So if if your friends are jokers and not to be trusted, don't jump off the bridge. I can think of friends who who do like rafting and rock climbing and that kind of thing all the time. And I can, I can think of, of friends who, if they told me, this bridge looks sketchy, but if you jump right here, you'll be safe. The water's deep enough, and it's a lot of fun. I would trust them. I'd jump off the bridge. And if my wife told me to jump off the bridge with a note of fear in her voice, Ian, jump off the bridge now. I would do it without a, maybe with a moment of hesitation. But I would do it. I would trust her, not if, I, not if she's saying it in her joking voice. But if I can hear that note of seriousness, like, okay, because I don't know what's down there. Maybe it's my baby. I don't know. But I trust my wife. In Genesis 22, God tells Abraham to jump off a bridge. Not really, not a bridge, but he he calls Abraham to do something which doesn't make sense at all. He asks Abraham to, to give over to him the most precious and valuable thing in his life. In Genesis 22, God tests Abraham and asks him to sacrifice his very son. Now, spoiler alert, we're about to read the passage. God doesn't actually require this of Abraham. He's testing him. He's testing the limits of Abraham's faith. In other words, how far does Abraham trust God? How far is Abraham willing to go in believing the promises of God, in standing on the promises of God? And it's a shocking passage. Asking him to sacrifice his son. This is wild. This is crazy. But it's supposed to shock us, and it's supposed to force us to ask the question, how far do we trust God? How far are we willing to go? Because I think the reality is, in most of our lives, we negotiate with God. And most of us have 
a line somewhere or other in our lives where we say, God, I'll obey you, I'll follow you up till this point, but past that point, I'm not sure I really trust you. Up till this point, I feel comfortable with what I know to be your will for my life, but past that point, I'm not sure I can go there. I know you're calling me to obedience in this area, but that just doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel comfortable. I don't know what would happen if I went there. I know you're calling me to repentance in this area of my life, but I don't know if I actually did it, what would happen. How far do you trust God? That's the question this passage asks of us this morning. And my prayer as we look at this text, first of all, is that our hearts would be revealed, that God would open our hearts and show us the answer to this question, how far do we trust God? And then also, that we would be encouraged to trust God. Like Abraham, to see that God is eminently, perfectly trustworthy. He is worthy of our faith. He's worthy of our trust. This passage reveals two things, the faith of Abraham and the faithfulness of God. Let's read the passage together and then we'll pray. Genesis 22. Genesis 22, that's page 15 in your pew Bibles. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. 
And Abraham lifted up his eyes, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things, it was told to Abraham Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. Uz, his firstborn, Buz, his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildesh, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Remua, bore Teba, Gaham, Tahash, and Makah. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing over your word. This is a challenging passage in some ways, but we ask that you'd open our mind to understand it, to understand what you would, what you would have us to see here, and not only to understand intellectually, but to understand in our hearts, to know in our hearts what it is to trust what it is to believe in your promises, what it is to know and to trust in your love, and particularly the love that you've shown us in your son Jesus. Give us this morning the gift of faith. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Two things here, two things tested in this passage, the faith of Abraham and the faithfulness of God. The first one's obvious, Abraham's faith is tested. Does he believe the promises of God? The second thing, it's maybe less obvious, but this too is tested. Because when Abraham actually believes, when he puts his money where his mouth is, when he trusts the Lord, what ends up being revealed is that God can be trusted. We see two things here. Abraham's faith, God's faithfulness. First, Abraham's faith is tested. Verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham. Now, we should understand here what's going on. This is not a temptation. It's not as if God is tempting Abraham with sin. Neither is this a trick question. This is a test. Think of a test like the purification of metal. When metal is put over a fire, what happens is that the impurities are burnt off. And what becomes revealed is the content of the metal. Is the metal pure or not? So what God is doing with Abraham here is he's putting him through the fire. What is the content of Abraham's faith? What is the content of Abraham's heart? And he does this by asking of Abraham actually the most difficult thing he can ask. 
after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. Notice that God greets Abraham with his covenant name. Abraham hadn't always been his name. It was Abram. Both Abraham and Abraham and Abram have to do with the Hebrew word father, Av or Ab. Avram, Abram, which was his name, means great father. But God said, no, 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 that's not your name. You're Abraham, Avraham, which means like father of many nations, father of a multitude of nations. Abraham's name itself was a promise. Abraham's name was a seal from God. He's saying, I'm going to make you a father of many nations, which was his promise to Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you so many kids. They're going to outnumber the stars. I'm going to give you so many children. It's going to be like the sand of the seashore. And I'm going to bless them. And I'm going to bless the whole world through them. This was God's promise to Abraham. And so when he greets Abraham on this occasion, he calls to mind those promises, even in the name, Abraham, father of many nations. You around? And he said, here I am. Here I am. Circle that or put a little flag there. Here I am. He's going to say this three times in this passage. Abraham doesn't say a lot. He does say more than this, but, but three times he says, here I am. And this is a this is sweet submission. I'm here. I'm here. What would you have me to do? Verse 2, he said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. This is very intentional. Moses, the writer of Genesis, does not mince words. God, in speaking to Abraham, isn't just adding a bunch of modifiers here as fluff. He could have just said, take your son. But he doesn't. He could have just said, take Isaac. But he doesn't. He says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. God's indicating here that he understands just what Isaac means to Abraham. He says, take your son. Remember, Abraham's old. He's more than 100 now. For 75 years, he and Sarah had longed for children and not received them. And then for 25 years after receiving the promises of God, they waited for God to fulfill his promise of a child for Abraham and Sarah. And now, in his twilight years, he's finally received a son, Isaac. He says, take your son, your only son, Now, in what sense is Isaac Abraham's only son? We know Abraham has another son, Ishmael. And we've gone through Ishmael's story. Why is Isaac Abraham's only son in one sense? Ishmael was not the son of the promise. Ishmael was conceived by a human plan to try and engineer God's gift. Abraham and Sarah were tired of waiting, and so Sarah said, hey, why don't you sleep with my servant and have a baby with her? And so that's where Ishmael came from. And God promised to bless and to keep Ishmael, but he, he's already made, by this point, in, he's made clear in no uncertain terms, Ishmael's not the child of the promise. I'm going to bless the world through Isaac, through Isaac 
will your offspring be named? And so, so God's making clear, take your son, your only son, your son of the promise, on whom all of my great promises rest, right? All the promises of blessing in the world, it's all on Isaac. Take him, your only son, Isaac. Isaac means he laughs, which has been a theme through the Abraham story. Isaac is laughter and joy in Abraham and Sarah's twilight years. After years of barrenness, laughter and joy. And so he says, take your son, your only son, laughter, whom you love. Of course Abraham loved his son. He's, as Abraham's sight is fading and his ability to even to walk is beginning to waver, he's watching his boy grow strong. He's watching his boy learn to, well, to do all kinds of stuff, learn to hunt probably. He's watching his boy grow into a young man. He's in his early teens at this point, we're guessing. He's strong enough to carry all the wood in, needed for the sacrifice on his back. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now can you imagine the bombshell that went off in Abraham's heart when he hears these words? After all these many years of waiting, after all these many years of trusting the promises of God, and after finally seeing the fruit of it, right? Isaac is the answer to all God's promises. It's through him. He's the child of promise. And Abraham's just beginning to think, all right, my part in the story's done. Isaac's almost a man. Pretty soon we'll marry him off, and I can die in peace knowing that the promises of God continue the next generation. And now God says, take your boy on the mountain and give him to me. Sacrifice him to me. Can you imagine them? the wrestling in Abraham's heart. What's, how is Abraham processing this? I think we're supposed to wrestle with this when we read the story. We, we shouldn't get to the end of verse two and say, oh yeah, that's normal. No, this is, this is earth shattering for Abraham. This is, it's like, why would God ask this of me? I thought it was all about Isaac. What's going on here? God makes clear in no uncertain terms later to the Israelites that he abominates child sacrifice. What's going on here? Abraham doesn't understand, but we do get a window into how Abraham is processing this in what he does and in what he says. Before he says anything, we see his actions. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning. He doesn't wait around. He sets his alarm for 3.30, gets up, gets ready, saddles his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. It takes him about three days to get into the vicinity. This is a long journey. I imagine Abraham was not that talkative on this walk. I imagine the servants and Isaac 
would have given a lot to know what was going on in Abraham's mind. I like to imagine that Abraham was a jovial, joking kind of fellow, and that usually along the, the journey he, he would have a lot to say, but I don't, I don't imagine that he did on this journey. I think he was wrestling with God. That's speculation. Here's what we know, verse 4. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, listen carefully, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So this is interesting. Abraham speaking in the plural here. He says, I and the boy are going to go. We are going to go over there. We are going to worship. And the verb here indicates, we are going to come again to you. This is very interesting. He's doing precisely what God has told him to do. Go to the mountain, sacrifice your son. He brings everything he needs. He's headed up the mountain. He doesn't have a sheep with him. But he goes up the mountain and he says, we're coming back. We are coming back. I'm going to go up there to worship God and obey him, and we're coming back. This is strange. Verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Imagine Isaac's... I, I would put it on my shoulders, maybe strap it on. He's going to climb this mountain with the wood on his back or maybe carry it in his arms. It's a lot of wood. It's, it has to be enough to burn a burnt offering. And Isaac has a question. Verse 7, Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, my av, avi, avi, he said, here I am, my son. Here I am. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Here's what I think's going on in Abraham's mind. I don't think he has it all figured out. I don't, think, I don't think he understands quite what's going to happen on the top of the mountain. Here's what he understands. God will provide. What Abraham understands, after a, a lifetime trying to learn this, finally it's clear in his own mind and heart God can be trusted. God can be trusted. He says God will provide. Abraham knows, and he knows that he knows that he knows, that God will make of him a great nation, and through Isaac, his offspring shall be named. That's the explicit promise of God, and the writer of Hebrews tells us that's what Abraham was banking on. Amen. That Abraham trusted, through Isaac, my offspring shall be named. I don't know what God's going to do up on the mountain. I'm going to obey him. He's God. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to trust 
that through Isaac, my offspring shall be named. So whatever happens up there, we're coming down. Isaac's coming down with me. The Lord will provide. I don't think Abraham understands what's about to happen, but he understands that God is trustworthy. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11 tells us this, verse 17, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises, Abraham, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered, Abraham considered, that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So the writer of Hebrews, inspired by the same Holy Spirit that was there on this day, giving faith to Abraham as he climbed the mountain, tells us that Abraham considered, even if I do sacrifice the boy, God can raise him up from the dead because God's word cannot be undone. And he has said, through Isaac shall my offspring be named. Abraham, I don't think it's possible he could have done the math, but he trusts the promises of God anyways. God says, jump off a bridge. And Abraham says, I trust you. God tests Abraham's faith. And in the fire of affliction, after a lifetime of sometimes trusting and sometimes not trusting, after, after a lifetime of learning that even when he was unfaithful, God was faithful, Abraham, here, almost at the end of his life, trusts. He believes the promises of God. How far are you willing to trust God? Which of God's commandments that he has made clear in his word is he even calling to your mind and heart this morning? Where is he putting his finger and and saying, you need to follow me here. You need to obey me. You know what my word says. Now, Now come. God has a habit of doing this. Jesus, during his ministry, ran into a lot of people who wanted to follow him. And Jesus actually discouraged them, weirdly enough. One man who, when he wanted to follow Jesus, he said, I want to follow you, Jesus, but I have to do something first. I need to go home and bury my father. This important family business, I need to take care of it before I can follow you. And what does Jesus say? He says, let the dead bury their own dead. You come and follow me. He says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to follow me. If I'm going to be your Lord, I'm going to be your Lord. But if I'm not going to be your Lord, don't bother. Does the same with a rich young ruler. Young man comes to him, he's wealthy. He has a position of power. He works on Wall Street or something. I don't know. This young ruler comes to him. He says, I want to follow you. I want to have eternal life. What do I have to do, Jesus? And he's willing to do anything, pretty much. 
But Jesus puts his finger on the one thing he's not willing to give up, which is his money. He says, you give away everything you have. Sell it and give the proceeds to the poor, and then you come and follow me. And the young man walks away sorrowful. He's not able to, to follow him. Because what Jesus has done is he's put his finger on the one thing that's keeping that man from wholeheartedly following Jesus. Because if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to trust God, if God is going to be our God, then we can't have any other God. And if money comes before Jesus, then Jesus is not our God. And if family comes before Jesus, then Jesus is not our God. And we're not trusting in God fully, we're trusting in our money. Or whatever it is, fill in the blank. Is there something in your life this morning that God is putting his finger on? That Jesus says, you need to leave this behind. You need to repent of this sin. You need to say this hard thing. I don't know what it is. But God does, and you do. Where is the Lord asking you to jump off the cliff? And trust. Because sometimes the Lord calls us to do things, and it's like, that is the least comfortable thing I would want to do. That's going to make me very uncomfortable. Or that's literally the hardest choice in this, like of all the things I could do. That's the hardest one. But I, if it's the obedient one, that's the one the Lord calls us to. Or maybe we look over the edge and we say, I don't know what the consequences might be. This feels like it's going to blow up everything. This feels like it might cause conflict in my family if I follow you in obedience in this way. And what does Jesus say? Well, you have to hate mother and brother. Not literally, but in comparison to how much we're willing to follow Jesus, he says, I'm first or nothing. First or nothing. He's either God or he's not God. How far do you trust God? Verse 9, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, this time not once but twice, father of many nations, father of many nations. And he said, here I am. Here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy. Knife drops. Or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. God says, Abraham, your faith has been proven. It's gone through the fire, and it's true. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, there was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. I don't think Abraham ever had a more joyful sacrifice than this. (laughs) 
So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide, Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Abraham worshipped the Lord on that day for his provision. Remembering the words he'd said to his boy on the way up, Where is the lamb for the sacrifice? The Lord will provide a lamb for the sacrifice. And as he worshipped God that day and sacrificed the ram and burnt it there and smelled the aroma floating up to God, Abraham worshipped The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. He's always provided. He's always provided. He's always provided. The Lord Lord will provide. And there on the mountain, the angel of the Lord renews the promises which God had made to Abraham and to Isaac. Verse 15, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men And they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. And then we're given in verses 20 through 24 um, a bit of the genealogy of Rebekah, who is going to become his son Isaac's wife. What's happening here is the story's beginning to move on. Where God renews his promises. He says, Abraham, look, I've kept my promises. You trusted them. And they're still good. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. I'm going to bless the world. I'm going to make of you a great nation, O father of many nations. And we're given that hint, verses 20 through 24. And this is where it's going. This promise that's fallen to Abraham so long, and Abraham's proven his trust in it, it's moving on to the next generation. We're moving forward one step closer to the Messiah, one step closer to Jesus, one step closer to the restoration of all things. Abraham wrestled with the question of faith throughout his life. Um, I, don't, I don't want us to come this morning and to wrestle with this question of faith and to come up to the line we've drawn in the sand and to, and to be discouraged and beat ourselves up. Like, oh, I just need to trust more. I just need to trust more. Well, you do. We do. But walking off the bridge is hard. There's some very hard things that the Lord has called us to do. And the encouragement to trust in God, the encouragement that we need to jump off the bridge, doesn't come from, I just need to trust. We can't work it up in ourselves. Why is it that I'd be willing to follow my wife off the bridge? Because I trust her. I, I know her. And if I hear the tone of voice in her, whatever she says, you need to go now. It's like, all right, because I know her, because I trust her. Faith comes from knowledge of the faithfulness of the one trusted. 
How is it that we can learn to walk by faith in God? How is it that we can muster up the faith to walk off the bridge, to hike up the mountain? It's by looking to the faithfulness of God. It's by getting to know him. If you're wrestling with some question and you know you need to step out in faith and it it seems like it's so hard it's almost going to kill you. What I want you to do this morning is to look to Jesus Christ and to see in him the faithfulness of God. You say, Jesus, where where does he come from in this passage? And for those of us who who know even some of the broad contours of the story of Scripture can recognize in Genesis 22 indications already of the coming of Jesus Christ. First, in in God's command to Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, a father laying down his son as a sacrifice, his only son who he loves. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Ultimately, God does not require Abraham to lay down his son. It's a test. His son does not have to be killed, but a son does. And that's Jesus Christ. And I want you to see in the heart of Abraham as it breaks, as he walks with Isaac up the mountain, the heart of God the Father, as he lays down his only son for you. Because this is what he has done for you in Jesus. He's laid down his only son as a sacrifice to die in your place. Because in truth, it it actually should be us up on the altar. It should be us bound. We're not told anything about what Isaac thought or said. He's not the point of the story. Um, Well, we are told something he said, but we're not given much insight into, into his inner life tied up on the altar. But I imagine he was a little worried. He could see his life flashing before his eyes. And that's... That's where we are before Christ. That's where we are apart from Christ. Is that because of our sin, the wages of sin is death. And it's actually what we deserve. We should be on the altar. But actually, in the love of God, the Father has sent His only Son to, as a substitute to, to take our place. Jesus is the ram in the thicket. Jesus is the substitute God has provided. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice who died in our place, bearing our sin so that we might live, so that we might be free. Do you see that this is your God? This is the God who's calling you and leading you. This is your God. Sometimes, when God calls us to do a difficult thing, to make a difficult decision, to do a difficult repentance, we can almost resent God. It's like, well, you're up there, and you're God, and I'm the one having to do the hard thing down here. 
But I want you to see that if that's where you are this morning, God has not stood up apart far away from your suffering. In the person of Jesus Christ, God has tasted more suffering than you will than you could ever understand. There on the cross, God actually took on your suffering, took on your sin. This is what the Son of God has done for you. This is the faithfulness of God. This is what God has provided. This is the kindness of God. This is the love of God. This is the faithfulness of God. This is your God, Christ on the cross. And so when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, when Jesus said, following me is going to be hard, obedience is going to hurt, but take up your cross and follow me, he led the way. He bore the cross first. And it's a heavier cross than any of us will ever have to bear. And so I want you to see this morning, as God calls you off the cliff, as God calls you to obedience, I want that you would, I want you to see that God is faithful. And it doesn't always make sense to us. We don't always know what's around the corner. But you know what we know. We know our God. We know the faithfulness of God because we have seen it in the face of Jesus Christ. And so though we don't know what's over the bridge necessarily, that's not for us to know. We are not God. We are not all-knowing and never will be. But the one thing we know and the one thing we need to know is Jesus Christ. Let's follow him. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, you have shown us such grace, such love, such overwhelming faithfulness in Jesus, in sending your own son to die, to take our place so that we might live, and for raising him from the dead so that we might be resurrected in him. And so we put our faith in you this morning, God. We do not know what might be around the corner. We do not know what you might call us to next, but we trust you that your promises are sure, that your heart never changes, and that you love us. And so whatever you call us to do, Father, we will do. What you call us to say, we will say. Where you call us to go, we will go. Who you call us to be, we will be. Because we have come to know you, Lord Jesus, and the Father who sent you. And we love you and we trust you. Help us to trust you. And to walk by faith and not by sight. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings
for all time.